you're listening to The Parent Classroom, a space for quick conversations on how to nurture your child's education. I'm your host, Komal Shah, a former teacher turned consultant who fundamentally believes that every parent has the power to raise their child consciously within the K-12 schooling system. I cannot wait to bring you on this journey. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Parent Classroom. I am so excited today because I get to chat with a dear friend and parent guest expert on all things emotions in schools. And I have to say, um, the guest today, Monsi, is a conscious parenting coach. And her whole mission is to bring purpose back to parenting. And I have been watching her and her journey for so long and the amazing work she does, not only for parents, but for her three kiddos. And so I'm so excited for this conversation and inviting her on today. So welcome, Monsi. Thank you so much for having me, Como. Um, yes, it is so lovely to have met you. Ironic, funny story, but <laughs> we met personally in a random occasion and we've just stayed connected. I'm a parenting coach and Como's in conscious education. I'm in conscious parenting and it immediately drew us together and our conversations just flow every time we meet in person. So it's so lovely. I know. And I feel like it was so funny too, because on our first time that we talked, it was just about our own personal consciousness journeys. And I think that just speaks to how much of the work that we do is so personal, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it always has to start with us. It starts with us, starts with our family, starts with community and then society and goes from there. But the wonderful journey first and foremost begins with us. Yeah. Okay. Well, since we like to start with us and this is about (laughs) education, um, what type of student were you growing up and, and where did you go to school? I went to school in Hillsborough, New Jersey, and I went to their high school there. And I have to say, what one thing that I remember about Hillsborough High and being in high school or just school in general was the eclectic um, group of people. Mm-hmm. There was people of all different backgrounds, of all different you know races, even within my middle school and elementary school. But as far as what kind of student I am, I think I became more cognizant of what kind of student I was closer to middle school and high school, because I think that's when children pick up a lot more responsibility over their own education. And I was type A. (laughs) I was one of those students who would come home and the very, very first thing that she needed to do was finish her homework. That was the first thing on my mind. I had to get it done. Um, I was very diligent in how I did my homework. Um, And if I were to look back in my elementary years, I could have cared less for school. I could have cared less for school. I was so concerned with playing in the mud, playing in the dirt, playing Mm -hmm. with insects, playing in the rain, just being a child and learning. And I think that's so ironic that you asked that question because even when I answered it, I answered it in the the very traditional sense that I'm a student within a school. But I think in my primitive years, it was so aware that I was a student of life Mm -hmm. and my classroom was nature Mm. and I was learning all the time. 
Mm. And when as children, we are so cognizant and we're so confident in our being as a student in nature, the people around us, sometimes the adults around us don't have that concept concept as well. And so there's a clash there that, no, you need to study more. No, you need to, you know, do some extra workbooks. And so that was me in my elementary years. And then as I got older, as, as did many other children all around the globe, I fed into the traditional school system and I became a very avid, very diligent, very, um, committed student in how I showed up. And my focus was always on my efforts, but not always came out in the results, but came with its struggles. And recently, um, the most recent time I've had the opportunity to be a student was when I went back into training to becoming certified conscious parenting coach. And it was very heavily drilled into us that there are no rules or regulations as far as how you're learning. And I got to take that opportunity to really observe myself and that type A-ness. And I have released that part of myself and acknowledge that learning is nothing but just a flow and a process. Mm. That's truly just what it means to be a student, to be a student of life. And so that's kind of just a little tidbit of my evolution (laughs) in being a student. Gosh, I could, I was nodding my head through everything you were saying, but the student of life part, I think is something that I know for me, I talk a lot about in conscious education, right? Is that as kids, we are natural learners. We are playing in dirt. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I used to like play with the roly polies in my backyard (laughs) and climbing trees and being in the sun and kind of what that I guess there's like a tipping point, right? Where we start to see learning within the four walls of a school, which is not actually necessarily true, but how do you kind of continue that learning outside of it? Now, I'm interested to know for you, because you said you kind of had to deconstruct some of that, but were you emotionally supported by your schooling growing up since that's kind of what we're focusing on today? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I imagine a lot of children of immigrants may resonate with this, but um, I grew up with lovely parents who's who are, you know, there were they came from India to the U.S. and their concern was to be able to put a roof over our heads, to put food in our plates, mm. and their concern was survival. Just like many immigrant parents who've come here, their main focus is survival and kind of establishing themselves here. So education wasn't too um, too much of like an emotional thing. It was more like a performance-based thing where there was expectations and, you know, expectations to perform and to show up well educationally. Um, as far as emotionally, there wasn't too much space for emotions in in the raising of myself or my education. But that was also something that I think they go hand in hand. Your emotional health is tied to your educational health and mm-hmm. it kind of wavers back and forth. And so, no, <laughs> there was not, <laughs> that, that was not there. Yeah, But it was also something that was a part of my journey that now has become so evident that I am able to give that to myself now. Yeah. And uh, gosh, you know, it's so interesting. I just, you know, have done an episode on self-love and something I talk about is kind of my journey with immigrant parents as well, but not from a place of blame, right? From a place of empathy and then also understanding how it did affect me because I too was not emotionally supported. And I don't know if you felt this way, but 
I wish my school was my sanctuary for my emotions just because I wasn't necessarily getting it at home. But I I don't feel besides maybe my friendships that I was being supported on how to navigate that. And did you ever feel that you wish you could get that from school or you just saw that as a separate thing? Um, I think I'm like a very emotionally hungry person. (laughs) So I was, I think, savvy enough to find it from one place or another or one person or another. Um, Friendships are, I I don't even view my friendships as friendships. I see them as my, my family. And so I think that when I when I go into looking for emotional connectedness, I end up going deep. And I would find that I think I found a lot of comfort. Mm. And I'm thinking of my high school years of finding comfort in being a part of clubs Mm -hmm. or sports teams. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what gave me a lot of sense of like, I can be, um, I can express myself here in a way where it gives me permission to experience my entirety. Mm. And I think that was super, super helpful, but you're absolutely right that emotions are a huge part of children's upbringings. And it's often not met, those needs are not met by a lot of people within their homes. And if that's not the case, our children are looking, well, where do I go? Where do I go? And this can become a little tricky as our children may look for it in their peers. And if their peers are not representing the healthiest of habits and things or lifestyle, then that's concerning. And so it is so, so crucial for that emotional Um, availability and to meet our children emotionally within our homes. Our homes for our children are meant to be their sanctuaries, meant to be their touch tree, Mm -hmm. their safe place. Um, And so it's just in this space that I think you and I are both encouraging that families encourage and foster that for their children and their families. Yeah. I love that. And I love what you said about home being a sanctuary, right? And and I also wonder how schools in some way can be a sanctuary in those moments when kids don't have that at home as well. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So now I want to transition a little bit into your kiddos. You have three. You also have a set of twins. Um, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Adarsh and Ashna. And then you also have a young kiddo in preschool, Anushka. And I'm just interested to for you to know or for you to share with us, like, what are, I guess, some ex- emotions that they experience when they are in school or you've seen as a parent they're experiencing in school on the daily or sometimes? Oh, wow. I have the joy of, yes, having three little ones who are showing me a range of emotions <laughs> all day, every day. And ironically, since this conversation is so much on education focused, a lot of it comes from the place that they've gone to learn and gain their education from. I think I have to start even just by saying that when our children are going to school, they're not just going to learn simple concepts and truths. They're going there to learn what it means to be a human and exist in society. Mm -hmm. So, so much of that is social. And when it's social, you know, when there's social interactions, you have to bet there's going to be emotions involved. And so a lot of the things that I get when they come home are around their interactions that they've had with peers or a hardship that they've had. So I would say I would get a lot of frustration. Mm. I would get some sadness. I would get curiosity. I would get happiness. I would get pr- like pride. Um, I get kindness. And so all of these different emotions and experiences that they come home with are tied with an experience that they've had, and it generally involves social interactions. Um, And so, yes, I get 
I get a full range. And if we don't have the tools and the mindsets as parents, it almost comes off like an attack. Like, I just saw you kiddos, and now you're coming at me with all of these hard emotions. Mm. But it's almost like we're decoding for them that this isn't necessarily something that they're doing to separate themselves from you or to throw their emotions on you. But they just had a day full of so many things that may have gone on that they don't know what to do with themselves. It's very overwhelming for them and their little, little bodies and their brains don't have the capacity to even decipher or to understand what it is that is their experience. And so that's where we come in as parents and we lean in and say, well, let me help you make sense. Let me be that safe place for you to have your emotions in a very safe manner. Mm. But let me ask you, I mean, I'm sure as a parent, when your child comes home and is showing you those emotions, it is, it does feel like an attack and probably you want to go into fixer mode, right? Because you you don't want them to feel that way. So I guess my first question to you is like, what's the first step for you as a parent to regulate yourself before you even respond to the emotions they're bringing home from school? Oh, I love that. Okay. So the first thing that we can do to regulate ourselves as parents, and if we're talking specifically in relation to school, the first thing would be to when you are on your way to pick up your kid or to greet your child or they're coming home is to be prepared, be completely 100% prepared Mm. that my child may come home with hard emotions today. That is the first best thing that we can do is be in acceptance that our children are not going to be, you know, emotionless. They're not just always going to have a good day. And in fact, when they're having hard emotions, that doesn't mean that they haven't had a good day. They just may have had a hard moment. So A, preparing ourselves with that. B, as soon as we are with our children and they are expressing hard emotions, it's checking in with ourselves. And first and foremost, breathing. I swear, parents, this is the best, best free advice that any parenting coach can possibly give you and that I will give you is that breathing. Because when we can calm our nervous system down, we can calm down that part of us that is now in fight or flight mode. And not instead of reacting to our children, we can now respond to our children, Mm. which is what it is that they need, honestly, in any relationship you can encourage this response feature as opposed to react feature. So oftentimes I find myself breathing constantly throughout the day. It is like my life source. (laughs) Um, It is my fuel to all my emotional experiences and breathing through that because it's not also pleasant to see your child falling apart. It's not pleasant to see your little ones falling to the floor or, you know, being angry towards you, but the breath is your anchor to kind of ground you in that moment And to be confident that this is something that they are experiencing. And that leads me to my third step, which is to depersonalize. Mm. Oftentimes, I will get one of my kiddos who had a hard day at school and something will happen in our car ride home and they'll take it out on me. And they'll be like, well, you forgot this and you should have remembered and now they're distraught. So I can, you can easily get stuck in personalizing and saying, well, how could you be so angry at me? Why didn't you remember? <laughs> or look at how much mom is doing for you. How awful of you to judge me. But the whole, the, that step is to emphasize to not personalize mm. it, to recognize that their emotions, because they don't know how to regulate, may be coming from a prior experience they had during their school school day but they don't know how to tell you or they may not be ready to tell you. I mean, they don't have the words to explain it to you yet, but that they're taking it out on you. 
So holding space for that, which then is step number four, which is just letting our children know that, are you having some hard feelings right now? Mm. Are you upset? Are you feeling upset right now? Helping them name what it is that is happening and allowing them and giving them permission. The minute we give our children permission to feel what it is they are feeling, it's like it cuts the emotion in half. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away from their right to experience it, but it takes away the intensity of them feeling defensive that they're allowed to have it. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing that, it almost softens them a little just to know that, wait, I'm allowed to be mad. I often tell my kids, are you mad at mama? It's okay to be mad at me. I'm safe to be mad at. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you know, they can hit or bite or <laughs> yeah. scream. There's boundaries around that. But certainly if they are upset, they're allowed to be upset. And then this just goes on and it's a process. You know, it's so interesting. I just have to take a moment because I think this is a moment of empathy for both teachers and parents, because when you mentioned the word breathe, I immediately thought of what it was like for me being a teacher in the classroom. And I think for any adult who works with kids, we have to manage that, you know, because even as a teacher, kids are coming in distraught emotions from social interactions, from recess or lunch. And yeah, a lot of times they get mad at the teacher, right? Or you didn't tell us that was due or what are you talking about? <laughs> and so I think I think sometimes a lot of times in schools as well is like how does the community of adults, including parents, including teachers, practice these kinds of concepts? And I think sometimes as teachers, it's hard because we have so many kids we work with and, you know, we don't know everyone's regulation, you know, pattern, but it, it becomes sometimes in schools, this like us versus them, right? Like the teacher caused harm. Now the parent is trying to come in or vice versa. The parent caused harm. Now the teacher is trying to come in. And I don't know. I just had to take a moment and be like, we're just in this together, working through the emotions of the little ones, you know? Oh my goodness. I mean, you brought up a great point and that is completely something to account for, yeah. especially with just what's happened after COVID. There's so much of teacher burnout even there's a lot of emotions that go on with children. Mm -hmm. Children are the ultimate invitation to feel your yeah. life. And as adults, whether we're a teacher, whether we're a parent, whether we're a lawyer, whether we're in it, we're, you know, like a, a store clerk, as we become adults, we kind of unlearn this idea that emotions are acceptable. But when we're met with our children as adults, as a collective, we're all looking at them like, whoa, mm -hmm. what's going on? What is this? What is this thing that is happening? Why is it happening? Meanwhile, it's ironic because as adults, we have tantrums too. Yeah. They just look sophisticated, if you will. Um, so we have tantrums all day. They just don't look like what our kids do. And we have tricky ways of hiding it, whether we do it, you know, hiding our emotions through food or a substance or shopping, you name it. We have ways to tame it where our children don't. They're just unapologetic in their expression. So absolutely, having said that, so much compassion, though, for parents and for teachers and for any profession that works with children, because that invitation, when it's coming at you constantly, it does come off like a threat, like, oh my gosh, like how much of my day do I need to remain in my emotion? Mm -hmm. And so that's where it's the invitation. It's the challenge to see how far you can go. And that's where I love what you're doing in your space, because you're absolutely right. There could be parents, single parent, like 
a parent, mm-hmm. groups of parents, groups of families who are adopting this idea of conscious parenting, positive parenting, who are able to meet their children for who it is they are and to not shame them into being something that they're not meant mm-hmm. to be and to work with the child as opposed to control the child. And it's also important that our educational leaders, our teachers and officials are also working towards that goal so that as a collective as a group of adults, as collective, we can raise a generation of children that comes with this idea of of consciousness mm-hmm. that they have permission to be, but in a safe yeah. way. Uh, my heart's like fluttering a lot right now, which means we're probably very aligned in this conversation. But it, <laughs> but it is. It's so true. And and to your point, when it comes to emotions of our, you know, of the kiddos, it's so easy to say it's gonna, it's okay it's fine, right? We want to just kind of move forward. And I think a lot of times as adults, we do that as well, especially in a schooling space or after school, because we we have urgency, right? There's time constraints. And so it's so easy to react and not respond because of the constraints that are surrounded by you, right? And so I, I, I love how you said the four-step process. I'm interested to know if there's anything you do to enable your children while they're at school, especially if you are not there to support them in some of that regulation. Oh, I love that. So there is a there is something that I tell my children every single day before I drop them off at their gates to school. And I give them a big hug and I let them know that just remember to find your kindness, mm-hmm. your confidence, and you're brave. And those are my three reminders. I think my, my, uh, I don't drink, so I'm going to say <laughs> mocktail, my favorite mocktail <laughs> in any kind of engagement with anyone else is kindness with confidence. Because when you can be kind and that comes from a genuine place, nobody can argue against your kindness. And if, and if they do, you know that it's not you. And then adding that very important ingredient of confidence is to be confident within yourself. Mm. So a lot of times in you know the interactions that my kids will have at school, once again, they go back to being social. And even if they are academic, being confident in themselves that I showed up the best way that I could. And as parents, we have some proof of their efforts and when they come home of how much they're putting into their schoolwork, but being confident and kind in their educational and their social interactions, reminding them that though this situation may seem very tricky and very hard for you, mm. It is not too much for you to find your kindness. Remember to find your kindness, Mm. but don't let it just be kindness. Be kindness mixed with confidence and be confident in yourself because we're working on our character building. And mind you, our children are born with every single beautiful quality that you could possibly possibly develop. It is probably more fine-tuned now than ever will be in their life. So it's not something that I need to give them. It's just something that I need to help them highlight Mm -hmm. because it's already Mm -hmm. there. It's, if anything, it's probably us as adults that have a lot of scraping away to find these innate qualities that every human is born with. And so taking that and reminding them that find that and know that you can work through any situation. It's not my job to fix it for them unless it's something intense, but to empower them that they can with these innate qualities that already belong to them. Mm -hmm. And that last one being brave to find your brave. Mm -hmm. And that's me letting them know that you will need to find your brave today, whether it be that you finding your brave to raise your hand and answer a question, whether it be finding your brave to, you know, I remember my daughter coming home from school one day and she had told me, mom, I was playing with my friend and a couple of older kids came 
during recess and they were bullying my friend. And I went over there and I told them that, hey, don't speak to my friend that way. That's not kind or else I'll have to tell the principal. And I highlighted for her right then and there, I didn't praise her or validate her. Mm -hmm. But before what I did was I asked her what quality she was using and she was using her brave. And and ironically, she also used her kind and her confidence. But I was, I was reminding her that, look, these few things that we talk about, that that is something that you already have and that's something that you practice. Mm-hmm. And so reiterating that then when they come back mm-hmm. home. So I guess my, my answer to your question is the thing that we can offer them when they're at school has so much to do with what we offer before and after mm-hmm. school and that what we offer is consistent. And so when we can do that, we're, we're kind of um, providing like a foundation for them that they can take this like foundational like um, unit of how they can view themselves and what their strengths are, or how they can, what their tools are in their toolkit, and then use it in school. And so I guess that's what my, my main key would be is that, and then we obviously talk about breathing. I mean, everyone in my family is constantly breathing, even my three-year-old. Yeah. We will we'll pull her aside and she'll, she'll like, and she'll give her own breaths. So breathing. And then there's also something where you can like press the palm of your hand and kind of like using tapping or sensational things where you can ground mm-hmm. your children within school. Um, so it could be breathing, simply taking deep breaths in and out, in through the nose and out through the nose and kind of really regulating their nervous system because this, this holds true for any human. And then some kind of like tapping sensation, even encouraging our children to go to the bathroom, maybe wash their hands with cold water, take a break, have some water. Um, These small, small things can be helpful, but when they're in the moment and they're met with a difficult situation, they're having those hard emotions, just the way that we as adults are overtaken by them, our kids are overtaken by them so much more. So it just goes back to how are we interacting with them at home? Mm -hmm. How are we encouraging home so that they can take this entirety with them at school. Gosh. I mean, I think that's so empowering. I think what you're doing is so empowering because in many ways, it probably enables them to to interact with school in a very different way. You know, and I just wonder as an educator, if every parent had the capability to do that, right? Because if, if the kid is already dysregulated at home and then they're coming to school, how much harder is that school day going to be? Because school is, school is hard sometimes and can be very stimulating for young ones. You know, they're going from class to class or subject to subject. There's a lot of transition. There is play, but there's also a lot of adults who are telling you what to do during the school day. <laughs> it's a lot. Like if I even think about me as a student, I'm like, oh my gosh, like how did I do that? Or how did I even open those lockers and it within a five minute passing period? Like that was really hard. <laughs> um, now you mentioned the four step process that you do, and you ended with kind of naming their emotions. Is there any type of follow up you do between that process and then the next school day if they're still struggling with like a bullying incident or a social interaction? I know you mentioned breathing, but I want to just ask if there's anything else you do as well. Oh my God. Yeah. And just like I said, this is like a continuous process mm-hmm. just that just keeps filtering through. But absolutely. I think one thing that we don't want to do is overtalk our children. Um, 
it's often not a bad idea for us as adults to even go on like a speech fast. Mm. Like (laughs) if you think about the amount that we say in a day, so much of our connection with our children is actually energetic. So acknowledging that, but also watching our children, observing our children, how are they doing in their day? Kind of tuning into attunement is so, so important as parents. I mean, I attune with my clients as a coach, but to be able to take that skill and do it with our family members is Mm. huge, especially our children to attune that what state of being are they in? There's a lot of times where my children will take their time or children in general will take time to feel their feelings. That might take a few minutes. That might take an, like more than a few yeah. minutes. They say it takes 90 seconds, 90 seconds chemically for the emotion to go through your body if you just allow it to. This means if you are feeling hunger, to completely focus and just feel your hunger for 90 seconds for it to leave your body, whether you're feeling angry or upset. But oftentimes we kind of stop ourselves from mm-hmm. that and it lingers. And that can hold, our children are actually far better at it than we ever could be. And we can learn this from them because they'll be upset one moment and then the next they're already better. And they're like, well, did you, did you realize that you were just upset? How did that go away? And where did it go? And how can I send my upset there? And so they are teaching us, but in that process, being able to acknowledge if they are ready to talk about it and keeping it in your mind, but being attuning to them when it's ready and appropriate for to, to talk to them about it again, but then following up. Give that, give them some space to mess up. <laughs> give them some space that if they are, if you talked enough about it, give them some space to now take what you've talked about to then show or kind of like respond to the situation at mm. hand. So if you coached your child a little bit on an incident of something that happened at school, well, maybe you can let this, you know, your your schoolmate know X, Y, and Z and let them know that that doesn't feel very good when they say these mean things to you. Can you not do that again? Let them try to see what they do. Mm. And then when they come back, when they're in a regulated place, when they're in a calm place, in a place of connection, and this is so key, we don't want to bombard and interview and interrogate our children. They are not here to perform for us. Of course, we want to guide them. We want them to be able to to show up in the world in a healthy way. But giving them that time and then following up and say, well, hey, I remember you had that hard interaction with that friend of yours. I'm curious. Do you feel like you were able to handle it well? Did you want to share anything? Did you have any other questions? Did you want to talk about it? And kind of gauge from them what it is that they're looking for. More oftentimes than not, with a healthy, open communication with a parent, they'll share with you what it is that is going on. They might share with you that, you know what, I did say this, and then this is what this person said. And you can kind of walk them through that and validate mm. positive, um, positively, re- positively reinforcing our children when they do do something that was actually healthy and influential in their well-being is so key because it could be something so, so small but you positively affirming it makes it so big. Mm. And then if there's any other edits to be made and be like, oh, okay, like I noticed you got really upset. Do you think it would have was a really great idea for you to drop their pencil though? And just kind of furthering in that process and letting them know that you're seeing the goodness that they're they're working on and that it's still hard and that it's okay. But at the end of the day, no matter what our kids are coming home with, reminding them that they are accepted that they are accepted wholeheartedly, whether they're coming home 
in perfect prim cut condition as you hoped or completely distraught and falling apart, whether that's educationally or socially or any other manner, but reminding our children that no matter where they are in state in their state of mind, that they're 100% accepted by us and loved by us. And that in itself has power to further reiterate the positivity. Gosh, I love that. And I'm hearing so much from you about, you know, giving space to make mistakes, autonomy, and, you know, a safe space and trusting space. And, you know, in the educational space, we talk a lot about building relationships with students. And I think it's very similar because even when you have a bad day as an educator or something comes up, if your students and your class know that you love them, and you accept them, and you have a trusting relationship, then they do come and confide in you as well, right? And so then you can actually guide and process and support because that foundation is there, right? And I think what you're stating is so much of that emotional foundation that you do with your kids. So that way, when problems arise, they go, oh, this is a safe space to to process this in my own time, which I think is so beautiful. I did want to transition a little bit because I know you and I've talked a little offline about achievement, right? You know, schools, especially this day and age, and I talked to a lot of parents about this, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of academic pressure. (laughs) I know it's like always a sigh, right? And, you know, grades, report cards, testing. And I think that a lot of emotions come up for kids and parents have to address it as well when they come home of this achievement focus that is constantly there. I'm just really interested to know your perspective of how you kind of navigate that and message that with them. Oh my gosh. If This is like a whole conversation <laughs> yeah. in itself because this is so big and it's a huge movement that for those parents who are courageous enough, because honestly, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah to walk away from this notion that our children's grades and their achievements and their academics defines Mm -hmm. them. It takes a tremendous amount of courage. It almost feels like, and this is honestly what it felt like for me personally, Mm -hmm. when I was experiencing my shift in understanding what school feels like and what school means for us in our life, it felt like I was taking a risk Mm -hmm. in believing something. And that's truly what it felt like. And and I've said this before and I'll say it again, there is not one single number that can truly define us, not even our age. I mean, we talk about so much about nutrition and lifestyle right Mm -hmm. now. Your age can be 54, but internally your age is 30. There is no number that can accurately define us, whether that be our age, whether that be our grades, whether it be our weight, whether it be the number um, that we see in our Um, our bank accounts, whether it's the number of followers we have, none of these numbers can possibly define our true essence of who we are. It's it's fine to use it as a gauge or a reference of well-being, but it is not our definition. It's the same thing. How can we use our children's achievements or grades in school as a gauge, as a guide, but not a definition? So if our children is coming home with a D or an F, that's a great guide to say, hmm, I'm curious. Is there an area where my child may need a little extra support in this subject? So is there something that's holding back from learning? Is he unable to commit to himself for th- with this um, particular class because he's not interested? What creativity, what creative things can we do as a parent? What creative things, resources can we bring so that he can perform better in this area and understand it? More importantly, to understand it. It's important to understand life. We're not going to like everything, but it's also important for us to understand. So what help do they need to understand? 
And then also being able to accept that if your child keeps coming home with not the best grades and not achieving very well in one particular subject, is it okay that that's not their subject? Mm. I'll tell you this right now, even setting up for this podcast when it comes to technology, not my subject. <laughs> I don't ever plan for it to really be my subject. But for me and for me to do my job and show up in the way that I am, I will mm-hmm. learn it to the best of my ability. But it is not my favorite subject. I will not invest my time. Why can't that be true? Why cannot that be true for our children? Mm-hmm. You can have lots of high functioning, you know, Wall Street, you know, men who are really great in their offices, but may not know how to put a healthy meal together. We don't put them down for that. Why are we putting our children down for not being able to perform well in a particular subject? So I think as far as achievement goes, it's looking at them as a person and how they're showing up. What about their character development? We talk about the word education and it stems from the word, um, it stems from a Latin word, which means to draw out. Mm -hmm. So reminding ourselves that our children have everything within them, the point of having a teacher, a school system, having parents and a family system is to help that child by drawing out those strengths that they have within them so that they can fulfill the purpose in which they are here on this earth, whatever that may be for them. So when we can look at it that way in a holistic approach to recognize that the goal for us as adults is to support that Mm -hmm. and to not just support the grades because yeah, does your A plus 4.0 GPA kid look really good on you as a parent? Sure. But is that what our goal is? Absolutely not. We want to know that their characters are thriving and and they're doing well in their character development more than anything. And when that happens, the education piece falls into place quite easily because they are settled within themselves to now take in more information and to express themselves more in an educational way. So achievements are great, but I think the most, the biggest achievement is in our children's character development. And that's where everything else stems from. Yeah. Wow. And it's so true because a lot of what you're saying is, you know, it's a lot of mindset for the parent, right? And it is really about unlearning and detaching from the identity of your kid's achievement is is your own, right? And that pressure to kind of <laughs> want to attach to that. And and I know it's to your point, it takes a lot of courage and it's really hard. But I'm assuming that if you come from that place, then actually your kid, possibly you'll not have some of that emotional turmoil that you would see otherwise if they are feeling so pressured to academically achieve in school. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if our children have that safe space Mm -hmm. at home to just be and not be judged on their performance, then that takes the pressure off. Exactly like you said, they have the freedom to try. And when they are making mistakes, which is just inevitable because that's what we do as humans, they won't be so hard on themselves. But the minute we go to shame, whether we're a child or an adult, the learning cuts off. It stops. It stops there. So I think what you and I are both emphasizing is to not shame our children for their wrongdoings or their inability to, you know, perform in some way, but encourage them for the ways that they are able to. And if they need support, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As a parent, it is our job to give them access to support in whatever way that they need, if that's what they need to then understand the material better or just understand themselves better. Yeah. 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 I did want to ask you though, and this is just an advice question of, 
You know, what if there is a parent who's like, you know, the traditional schooling system has made learning seem like it's within the confines of the school, the classroom and the subjects. And now my child is apathetic. My child hates school. My child doesn't want to go anymore, right? So now we're at the point where we're more reactionary. And I know for me as a teacher, I've worked with a lot of parents who have a daily struggle with this, where their kid just does not want to go to school. And especially later on, right? We're talking about middle or even high school. What advice would you give to parents to navigate kind of the emotions that come with that apathy? Wow. That is a loaded question and a loaded experience. Honestly, lots of compassion to the parents who are experiencing that. And honestly, more to the students who are experiencing Mm. that. Because once again, it's not even the students, I don't want to say fault, but it's not even the students' fault that they're feeling that way. It's a system thing that could be stemming from the school environment and or the home environment. So if you are in this kind of situation, what I would say is that More than ever, that's where the parents do need to step in even more than the average student who is having a decent experience with their school and step in and offer that much more safety. So not coming in with any negativity, not adding to the pressure that is already there and offering that safe place and just kind of mirroring to their children their experience. That doesn't mean when they say, oh my God, mom, dad, I hate school. I'm never going. You say, yeah, you're definitely never going but saying, oh my gosh, Mm. you hate school. Mm. I'm so sorry. Like I'm like, I, I hate that you feel that way because school shouldn't feel like that for you. I'm so sorry. You're having this experience. Can you, can you tell me about it? It sounds like you're holding a lot all by yourself. I want to hold some of that weight for you Mm. because that's a lot that you're carrying on those little shoulders of yours. I'm here with you while you hate this experience. Let's hate it Mm. together. Let's make sense of it. And let's figure out how we can improve it for you. Mm. Immediately, the child doesn't feel like they're alone. They feel like they have a teammate. They feel like they have somebody that they can look up Mm -hmm. to or that they can turn to for support. And this is the case in any scenario, whether even it's adults. Like the minute you feel like you have a partner in something, you just kind of like feel at ease. Like, oh, wait, we're going to figure this out together. We're a team. I got two people. <laughs> School is like one person. I got two people. I got me and my mom and Ray and my dad. And so that immediately takes away some of the pressure. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean, and if that means that you need to take your child out of school, put them in a different one, then that's what you do. If that means that you need to stay, but kind of change your mindset and give your child support from home, then that's what you do. And if that means that you need to go and speak to a school official or have a meeting with a teacher, then that's what you do. And I've honestly been in all, all all three of these situations and it's us being parents and properly attuning to our children again and just knowing what it is, is what is it that is their mm. need? Because they're intuitive. They kind of know what they're feeling. Mm. They just may not know what to do with it. And so sharing in their experience with them, not escalating it and certainly not shadowing it and making it feel like it's not a big deal but just meeting them exactly where they are and letting them know that we're going to figure it out together. Oh, if a child can have that kind of support system and emotional availability from a parent, I'm pretty sure that even if they didn't have, they didn't want to go to school, Mm -hmm. they would think back to feeling like, well, I've got my, I've got my parents support. So I'm going to just make it through this day. Mm -hmm. And then whatever solutions need to happen, they'll make it done. They'll make it do together. Oh, 
I love that. And I love the, the, the approach of the teammate, right, versus the person who's trying to solve it all by themselves. That's, that's a big distinction for sure. Okay, before we wrap up, my final question is, if schools were to take more, or if a par- as a parent, what do you wish is one thing that schools would do to support kids emotionally that you're maybe not seeing right now or could be more effective? Oh, okay. So I'm going to say this answer, but it's also based on a personal experience that I've had. Okay. And if I'm thinking back to this particular teacher and my child experience, I would say, boy, I wish that I wish that the educational system could encourage being able for children to have their emotions. Mm. So if the kids are kind of being, you know, really they're misbehaving or they're not listening, I guess my question for the educational system is to just, if it's a teacher, for example, to just simply ask, hmm, why? Mm. I wonder why my kiddo today is is saying this. I wonder why. Like, I wonder what's going on in them that they're feeling this way. If there's a student that is really diligent in doing their work every day, but this particular day they're misbehaving, the question why, like, I wonder why she's doing that, or I wonder why he's not listening to me today, as opposed to going straight into discipline, mm-hmm. but being curious. And this is exactly what we would do at home as conscious parents. And what I encourage all of my clients to do is being curious about why our children are behaving because our children oftentimes are communicating through their behaviors. Mm-hmm. And not all the time are those behaviors something that we really want to see or experience, or sometimes it's disruptive, but just having compassion enough for our children to just be curious and ask why. I wonder why he's feeling that way. And that can be the next step as far as how the educator moves through the situation. You know, does she need to, or he need to, you know, have a small conversation with the child? Do they need to have some quiet time to regulate their body? You know, little things like this and just being curious of what that particular child needs. And which is hard to do. I mean, teachers have like, what, 24 students. So (laughs) how can they possibly do this with everyone? Completely understandable, but possibly doable. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. Oh, thank you. So I like to bring a little humanness for the latter part of the episode. I'm just going to ask you four fun questions and it's kind of rapid fire and whatever comes to mind. So we get to know you out of, you know, the expertise that you so beautifully brought today. All right. First question. What is your favorite indulgent sweet or treat? Oh my God. Okay. I will say... Right now, sweet potato muffins. Oh oh my gosh. And I know you're a baker, so I know that was a hard one. All right. um, Second question. The last book you read that you love? Um, Attached. Mm. Your favorite subject in school? History. Okay. And the last one, one word that you hope school feels like for every child? Safe. Mm. Amazing. Well, Mansi, thank you so much for joining us today. For all the parents out there, can you let them know how they can find you if they want to follow your work or join your journey? Yes, absolutely. Um, you can find me most readily available on Instagram, and that's at Coaching and Compassion. Um, you can also visit my website, which is CoachingCompassion.com, um, and you know I have my services and information there as well. But yeah, come and join me on Instagram. I'm giving daily tips, my own behind the scenes 
um, parenting moments that lead me into my own consciousness because um, we're all in this together. Nobody has it down perfectly. And so, yeah, just it's a journey that we can join in together and that's where you can find me. Amazing. And I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes as well for anyone who didn't catch that. But Thank you so much for joining me today and for just sharing so beautifully all the work that you are doing and hopefully supporting parents with their own kiddos and their emotions. Thank you so much for having me, Komal. And for any of Komal's listeners that are listening today is Komal's birthday. And I just wanted to give you a shout out. And I'm so glad that I got to share in your special day with you. But happy birthday. And I hope that all of your wishes come true for this next year ahead. Thank you. That's so kind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up as a parent, but not only just for yourself, but for your child as you consciously make shifts for their schooling. To connect with me, follow at The Parent Classroom on Instagram and join my email newsletter to stay tuned for more resources for you and your child. If you are interested in consciousness and education, you can find my book, Raise Your Hand, A Call for Consciousness and Education, now on Amazon. Till next time. Bye.